Welcome to Catechesis, a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Catechesis is Greek for teaching. That's precisely what we will do with this podcast. Take Christians back to their roots through spoken word and study. Here's your host, Pastor James Goodlett. Welcome to Catechesis, a production of Lewis and Broad Media. This is episode number 10 of this podcast. My name is James Goodlett. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church in beautiful LaGrange, Georgia. So glad that you are joining us for this brief glance into the book of Exodus. I'll get to that in a minute. But if you'd like to hear other podcasts, I would invite you to go to lewisandbroad.org, including you can catch up on our flagship production, the Lewis and Broad podcast. Season three of the Lewis and Broad podcast is coming very, very soon. We actually have an announcement coming next week about what that season will entail, and we cannot wait to share it with you. So all thanks to y'all, our loyal listeners, and to Leighton Parker, who produces and directs this whole thing. I'm going to go ahead into the text for the day, which is Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. That's what we'll be talking about this Sunday in worship at First Press. But before I dive into that, can I just say that this text for today and this Sunday makes me think of one of my favorite songs to sing as a kid in church. I would jam to this song. I'm going to spare you having to listen to me sing it. But this little light of mine, I will tell you right now, I would sing that thing. I didn't care who was listening. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Man, I loved it. That song is part of my heart. And I know it's cheesy, but it's just one of those things that you learn, or at least I did, really early in life. And, and, this day makes me think of it. This little light of mine. Transfiguration Sunday. That's what this Sunday is. Now, that sounds like a very fancy term, transfiguration. And I'll say a little bit about it. It appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When Jesus and a few of his disciples go up on a, on a mountain. In Luke, it's Peter, James, and John. And this is pretty much how it goes in those three Gospels. All of a sudden, Jesus is up there and his clothes turn a dazzling white. And with him appear two men. The scripture says that it is Elijah and Moses. And they strike up a conversation about his so-called departure, what was to come for him, and what was to come for Jesus' people. And, of course, this whole situation struck the disciples as, you know, a little odd, a little out of place. But this being a hospitality culture and all, Peter says, you know what, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Can we make three dwelling places for y'all? Would that be all right? But nobody really answers Peter because all of a sudden, a large cloud comes and overshadows them, and a voice from heaven says to them, this is my son, my chosen, my beloved. Listen to him. 
And then after the voice speaks, Jesus is just there by himself. No sign of Elijah, no sign of Moses, no dazzling clothes, no bling, just Jesus. And the Gospel of Luke says that the disciples didn't tell anybody about it. Now, we don't really know why. Maybe people would have thought that they were crazy or maybe they thought they might have had a little bit too much leaven in their bread. Whatever the case, they don't talk about it. And so the moral of the story clearly is strange things happen on mountains. Now, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. That is not the moral of the transfiguration story. But you have to admit when you think about it that strange things do happen on mountains, especially in, in the scriptures. I'm going to take today's scripture from Exodus as another example. We've already talked about the transfiguration story. But in Exodus, our Old Testament reading for the week, It was a very interesting time in the history of God's people. They had already messed up. And when I say they messed up, I mean they messed up huge. Moses has gone up on a mountain. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word again, mountain. He'd gone up to receive the laws and the commandments of God, but he had been gone for some time, and the people got a little anxious about it. They didn't know what they were going to do, so they decided, you know what, we're going to make something that we can worship that we can see. So they make this large golden calf. Not a good choice. God wasn't big on idolatry. So Moses comes down the mountain. It's a whole scene. It's a whole thing. I would invite you to read about what happens in the early Exodus 30s. But long story short, God being a God of mercy and a God of steadfastness and a God of love gives the people another chance, as tempting as it was for God to do away with those people. So then Moses again goes up, you guessed it, to a mountain. And he receives more commandments, more covenant. And when he comes down the mountain, though, this time, His face is all lit up. Now, again, strange things happen on mountains, and not surprisingly, the state of his face was cause for some alarm. Now, this is one little thing I I learned when I was reading about this scripture, a little did you know? There have been some translations that suggest that Moses' face was not so much shining as it had horns. That's right, horns. Michelangelo, for instance, has a sculpture of Moses. If you Google Moses Exodus horns, which I know you probably, that's, that's an everyday event for you, right? That is... That is something you probably Google at least once every Tuesday. At any rate, do it. 
Because you'll see Michelangelo has a sculpture of Moses, and he has horns atop his head. And here's the reason why. The Hebrew root of this word that is used here, it actually happens a number of times throughout the scriptures, and it is used to indicate an animal's horn. That is why you might see fine works of art where Moses has got some antlers going on. But modern scholarship has, I don't know if you want to say, has corrected or altered the translation. Either way, this is why we see that his face is shiny here in Exodus 34. Either way, though, whether he had horns or whether his face was shining, it's a strange event, another one that's happening on a mountaintop to be all kinds of lit up. Your face on fire after encountering God. That does seem strange. Or does it? Is it really that strange? Now, I am not here to suggest that there has been some occasion in your life where you have either experienced or witnessed someone's face being lit up, shining, because of an experience of God. But I bet you have heard the phrase mountaintop experience. A mountaintop experience is when you have made the journey to what the Celtics might call a thin place where the separation between our world and the divine world, if if you want to call it a separation, seems very, very thin. Mountaintop experiences are when people cannot help but celebrate and praise and worship. When we have those experiences, our faces may not be literally lit up, but we have been transfigured. We have been changed in some shape, form, or fashion. You might see people's faces light up when they talk about this mission or that project or an experience, whatever it might have been, with the divine. So here's my question for you. Have you ever had this kind of experience? What fires you up? What was it like? What, what causes your face to shine? Because I would urge you, as the pastor type that I am, to pay attention to that, to see where it takes you. But there's also this. It's really interesting to me how Moses is received when he comes down the mountain. His face is lit up, and Aaron and all the Israelites see him. And what does it say? They were afraid to come near him. Now, granted, I'm sitting across from Leighton Parker right now, and if her face was all of a sudden aglow, my heart rate and blood pressure might escalate just a smidgen. But I think it's instructive that when Moses is fired up, 
People are afraid. There is fear very much present. And there may come a time when something stokes our existential and spiritual fires as individuals or as the church. And while we might long for people to celebrate that, our passion or passions may not be received as we would hope. People might not like seeing our faces shine like the sun. People might just ask us to put a veil on or to use the parlance of the day to mask up which is a not-so-unfamiliar request from the last couple of years. Don't spread your enthusiasm to me, they might say. I like the way things are right now. That isn't to say that you should give up. God has caused your face to shine for some reason, your heart to shine for some reason. Don't lose sight of that. But also don't expect to be received 100% of the time with open arms. Change is hard. Strange things happen on mountains, y'all. Callings happen on mountains. Sacrifices happen on mountains. Transfigurations happen on mountains. Change happens on mountains, literally or figuratively. And sometimes people will embrace what happens up there, and other times you'll meet resistance. Maybe you will speak, like Moses, about however it is that God is working with and through you on the mountaintops of your life. Or maybe you might be like those disciples who don't say a word about it. But either way, hear me when I say this, that God is working. God has caused your face to shine. So you might as well just let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. That wraps up this episode of Catechesis. We hope you will join us online. Again, you can find us on social media at Lewis and Broad, or you can engage us on lewisandbroad.org. Let us know what you think about this text and what is causing your life to shine. As always, remember who and whose you are. Until next time. Thanks for joining us this week at Catechesis. Be sure to follow along on our websites lewisandbroad.org and fpclagrange.org. See you next week.